Come on, lift your hands. Come on, I didn't say clap. I said lift your hands. And just for, just for a few seconds, just open your mouth and begin to give God the worship he deserves. Just, just open your mouth and begin to let him know what you want to mean something. Hallelujah. Lord, I want my life to mean something. Lord, I want the life I live before my children to mean something. Lord, I want the life I live in front of my neighbors, my co-workers to mean something. Lord, I want to leave a legacy, a generation of hope and hope and love and power in your name. I want it to mean something. Come on, open up your mouth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Last week, Pastor Corey said that power came in prayer. And part of prayer is opening your mouth and letting the God of heaven know what it is that you need. He wants to hear your cry. Name of Jesus. I'm going to I'm going to pray, and I want you to remain standing as I read the word today. You can take your seats thereafter. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you today that you give us a love that lasts forever, a love that never ends, a love that goes beyond bounds and margins, and it goes into the places that sometimes we don't want to. It goes before us and prepares a way for us. Lord, we want that kind of love. We want to love, Lord God, that you love with. So help us to imitate you here in the earth, that you would be glorified in heaven and that your kingdom would have place here today. Everybody in agreement with that prayer says amen. We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 12 through 13. The verse says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. Church today, a kingdom church will overcome injustice because it has within it the power of a marginless love. And that's what I want to preach to you today. That'd be my topic, the power of a marginless love. When you woke up this morning, you probably didn't notice that you had barriers, borders, and boundaries, and margins all around you. When you woke up, Kathy, you, you probably didn't pay much attention to the fact that there were walls and doors all around you that were keeping people from the outside world to see inside where you were. You probably walked down the steps and you held on to the handrail that kept you from falling off the steps. You went and got yourself some breakfast. You opened your cabinet door. You got yourself a cup got some juice or water or coffee or whatever you drank and poured it in the cup so that you didn't have to drink it out of your hands. If you left out the front door and depending on how close or far you are to this pavilion, you either walked down the street, got to the corner, staying on the curb as traffic went by and obeyed traffic lights so you wouldn't get hit. 
If you drove in a car, you got in the car, closed the door, uh, drove down the road that was protecting you in the car from all the cicadas that's been going all around in the last couple of weeks. And as you drove down that car, you stayed on your side of the road, in your lane, and hopefully you drove the speed limit. If, if you're watching from online, you picked up your phone, you picked up your tablet, your computer, your television, and you went to the Facebook app for Grace City or the YouTube app, and, and when you did that, it was connected to your secure password encrypted Wi-Fi provided by your local service provider so that way you could ultimately watch the message that you are watching today. You see, sometimes we have boundaries and borders and margins that are created for reasons that are good. But other times, there are boundaries, borders, and margins that are created that aren't so good. Some borders and boundaries are erected through perceptions, emotions, and actions uh, that lead us to marginalize those who should be included rather than excluded. It causes us to keep what we don't want out and what we do want in. And, and these conscious and unconscious borders are like words that oftentimes sit outside the margins of a printed page. When that page is printed, those words don't show up because they existed outside the margins, outside the lines. When this takes place, we need our perception corrected so that we might remove the margins uh, that should not be in place in order to keep ultimately what God wants inside the margins, and that's all those created in his image. Well, Kristen, this week in our final sermon and our series, Might Beyond the Margins, or Might from the Margins, the gospel's power to turn the tables on injustice, we find Paul the apostle writing a letter to a church that is dealing with some major issues inside and outside of their community. Internally, there are disputes and divisions within the church that are breaking apart the bond of unity that they should share. They allowed worldliness to enter into the community and begin to approve and practice immoral deeds. John, they, they placed way too much importance on spiritual gifts, abused the Lord's Supper, lacked love for one another, and even misunderstood the resurrection. Externally, despite their immorality and worldliness, they had almost low, completely disassociated themselves from people who did not know the saving power of Jesus Christ causing their community to be more unattractive than it already was to those seeking freedom from sin and the life of Jesus Christ who died to save them. Despite their expression of spiritual gifts, their abundance of wealth and connection to some of God's most faithful apostles, teachers, and, and leaders, they were still loveless, faithless, godless, and seemingly hopeless, carnal, immature believers. And the worst part is they thought they were thriving. Now, this is a sobering reality because it's amazing, it's unbelievable to imagine that you can have an outward expression of spiritual gifts. You can have talents, abilities, you can be creative, uh, you can be innovative, uh, you can have money and recognition, you can be a CEO, CIO, PhD, LMNOP, and whatever you want to be. You can have influence in a top-tier education, graduating from the best schools, Princeton, Harvard, Howard, you name it, and still be loveless, faithless, and hopeless 
immature in your belief. Oftentimes, we think in order to remedy this, we need more programs or more books to read or more processes to follow. But Paul says we have a better way. This is why Apostle Paul reveals to the Corinthian church the greatest of graces found in chapter 13. This chapter is a popular chapter. Many of you know it as what's called the love chapter. And no doubt you probably heard it at a wedding. Uh, somebody stood up and, and as they read their nuptials and they declared their vows, they talked about the love that they would have for one another. And though in this chapter, uh, in Corinthians chapter 13, it describes love as that which hopes in all things, believes in all things, endures all things, that is unboastful, that's kind, that's patient, all things and qualities that you would expect and hope that would be a part of a marriage relationship. But in context of what Paul is trying to describe us today, these things have nothing to do with the union of marriage. But they have everything to do with the love that never ends. A love that is able to bear up, amen, under the pressure of deferred hope and unmet expectations. A love that believes even when it looks doubtful. A love that is fully persuaded to continue to love despite the objections and rejections it may face. This love is God's love, and it is a love that can transform a community. It can transform a community because it is a marginless love. It's a love that does not celebrate what is evil or ignore what is good. It does not debate or divide over non-essentials. It does not use God's name to make allowances for their own fleshly human desires. It does not favor the majority or exclude the minority. And it can transform a community because it does not demote the majority in order to promote the minority. Instead, it brings both the majority and the minority into the Father's kingdom, under the Father's justice, for the Father is the just one who knows and sees fully the hearts of humanity. You might say that this love is marginless. A love is marginless whether you are in the margins or beyond the margins. It's a love that still reaches you. Marjorie, it's a love that is for you regardless of your ethnicity or political party. It's a love that doesn't care about your Christian denomination. It's a love for man and woman. It's a man, a love for the healthy and the sick. It's a love for the rich and the poor. It's a love, watch this, for the sinner and the saint. It's a love without margin. How, how many of you believe that we need that kind of love to heal injustice? See, a marginless love is God's love and this kind of love has power, power. Somebody say power. In Genesis 3, this power showed up when God came to Adam and Eve, though they had sinned and clothed them with the skins of animals, kicked them out of the garden. You hear me? Kicked them out the garden so they couldn't eat of the tree of life and stay in their condition forever. This love showed up in Genesis 21 when Hagar, a, 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 a outcast slave girl, and her son Ishmael were in the wilderness without no hope and no one to love them. God showed up and said, I see you. It showed up for Joseph uh, 
when God allowed him to interpret a dream that saved the whole nation and then save and deliver his brothers, the very brothers who had sold him into slavery, got him end up caught up with the 20-year bid for, uh, for rape when he didn't even commit the crime. It showed up for him to allow him to forgive them because he realized that though they meant it for evil, God intended it for good. It showed up for Esther, giving her strength to walk into the king's palace, even though she wasn't invited, because she recognized that she, their people needed her voice, and she was created for such a time like this. It shows up for the world over 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ on the cross paid the price for your sins and mine. And it shows up for you, beloved, when you love your neighbor, when you forgive your enemy, and you sacrifice and pray to the God in whom you believe. You need to know, beloved, that there is power in a marginless love because a marginless love is, in fact, God's love. And today I want to share with you, uh, I'm not going to be before you very long, just two reasons uh, why there is power in a marginless love. There's power in a marginless love. Number one, there's power in a marginless love because a marginless love goes beyond our carnal perceptions. It goes beyond our carnal perceptions. Look with me, if you will, at verse number 12 in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says that for now we see dimly in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully even as I have been fully known. What is the principle that Paul is trying to get across to us here? He's trying to help us understand by comparing this concept of foggy sight and partial knowledge as carnal perceptions that limit our vertical and horizontal attempts at love. The first thing that I see in the text are these two adverbs, now and then. Uh, th these adverbs in this particular text are referencing a current imperfect state over a future perfect state. We know this because Paul's statement in verse number 10 regarding the coming of that which is perfect, he says in verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. That's partial knowledge, partial sight, partial gifts. All those things that we elevate will pass away and we'll be able to experience and see love perfectly. Understand, Paul wants believers to grow up spiritually and have a proper perspective on current perceptions and future conditions. Now, in a study of spiritual formation, uh, this is identified as your horizontal life and your vertical life. Your horizontal life, uh, as you are, your current perceptions and how life, your life, interacts with the people around you. You have a horizontal life, but you also have a vertical life. And in that vertical life is your future condition on how your life intersects with God above. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with primarily Christianity, but we just understand as humans that there is a life that we live on earth, but that there is something greater, a creator that is above us that intersects and interacts in the world in which we live. The intersection of your current perception and future condition is where what we currently see and know versus what we will ultimately see and know meet. What we see and know about this intersection should be the determining factor of how we interact with the world around us. 
But herein lies the problem. The church at Corinth spent either too much time being focused on their vertical life. Essentially, uh, they were too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Or, or they spent too much time or their horizontal life. They were so entrenched in the world's ideologies and ways of looking at things that they could not recognize when they were going off track because they did not realize that there was a greater message, a greater word above them. On the other hand, they were so focused on one or the other that they could not be proper representations of the kingdom of God. And since in their focus they didn't allow for adequate intersection, they brought discredit on the name of Christ and required correction. Now, now beloved, I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're so focused on, on the letter of the law and so focused on what you think God says about this, that, or the other, that you can't even touch and connect and be around people who don't look like they believe like you believe. Maybe you're so focused on, on the vertical that you don't realize that you got the vertical so that you could come horizontal. Uh, maybe you're so focused on the horizontal that you're so entrenched in, in what the latest thing is, the latest political view, the latest uh, way to see people or the way, latest way to do this, that, or the other, you, you don't realize that your viewpoints, your ideologies are in stark contrast to what God would say in his word. Maybe you find yourself there, but Paul says we have a better way. He says, Paul says, for now, we see in a mirror dimly. He uses the Greek word blepo, which simply means to see or perceive, but then face to face. Now I know in part, using the Greek word gnosko, which has different translations or different meanings throughout the New Testament, but here it simply just means to get knowledge. But then I will know fully epignosco, to know accurately as I am fully known. You see, the only one who can know fully is our Heavenly Father. Therefore, we are to constantly be asking ourselves what the Father sees and what the Father knows in relation to how we live in this world. And this is just as difficult for the Corinthian church, beloved, as it was for us. Paul uses this analogy about a mirror that they see through dimly. See, they didn't have glass mirrors, they didn't have mercury, and they didn't have front-facing cell phones. They had these little metal apparatuses that were copper or metal uh, with this thing, a pumice stone and sponge that was attached to it that they had to scour and scour and scour and scrape so that we could, they could see just a blurry image of what they looked like. Just seeing or perceiving in contrast to seeing face-to-face is like looking at a sonogram image versus a mother or a father beholding their newborn child for the first time. It's a completely different type of looking and seeing and sight. And we only know or see horizontally based on our current perception and not vertically as well. We can't know rightly when we only do that. We will only know in part when we fail to see and love others through God's eyes. We limit even our current perceptions, which limit our faith, deferring our hope. And Apostle James says it this way in, in, in James chapter 1, verses 20 through to 25. He says that you ought to be doers of the word and not hearers only, 
deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man, watch this, who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. You got a blurry image. When you don't let your horizontal and your vertical intersect, you got a blurry image. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves, being no hero who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The problem with carnal perceptions is that it's based on assumptions in your own feelings. But I want to clue you into a secret. Your feelings lie to you. I know y'all don't believe that because you know what you feel. I feel this. I feel that. I just felt it. I just, I just, it was intuitive. I knew it, and it couldn't be denied. I just feel it. Your feelings lie to you. And the reason your feelings lie to you is because your feelings are based off of your perceptions and your thoughts and beliefs. And if your thoughts and beliefs are wrong, then your feelings are going to be wrong. If, if you've had an engagement or an encounter with somebody or heard somebody talking about somebody else, when you go in to meet that person that you do not know, and you engage with them, and they do something that seems similar to what you've heard or experienced before, you immediately will associate what they are doing now to some experience negatively that you've had in the past, and you won't feel right about them. Your feelings lie to you. So how do we correct this? We correct this by asking ourselves whether or not what we are thinking or believing is actually true. I walked into the room and I felt like nobody wanted me there. How true is it really? Do you have any evidence to support that nobody wants you there? Maybe you need to check those thoughts so that you don't have those feelings. Amen. When we go beyond our carnal perceptions and connect to a more certain spiritual reality, we can experience the power of a marginless love because a marginless love goes beyond our carnal perceptions. You see, but the second reason there is power in a marginless love is because a marginless love is greater than faith and hope. 13, verse 13 says this, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The principle that Paul wants to get across here that I want you to understand is that faith is the evidence of hope. But love is the anchor of what you have faith to hope for. I'm going to say that again, that faith is the evidence of hope, but love is the anchor of what you have faith to hope for. The entirety of the Christian life hangs on faith, hope, and love. These two graces of faith and hope are two of the most fundamental yet misunderstood graces. Faith just simply means to be fully persuaded. You're fully persuaded if you have faith, which is why Abraham was the father of our faith. He was fully persuaded in what God had told him, so much so that when, when, when Sarah asked him, where are you taking that young boy? He said, baby, we going up on the mountain to worship, uh, and then me, me and a young man going to come down together. He knew he was taking him up there to sacrifice him. But Hebrews tells us that he was so confident in God that he believed that even if he slayed his son, God had the power to raise him from the dead. 
Abraham was fully persuaded. Our hope means that you confidently anticipate with pleasure. It's an expectation that you have. Uh, Kristen dealt with this a couple Sundays ago. This hope that we have is certain and sure. It's not a hope so, maybe so, wish so, maybe so, I might so. No, our hope is more solid and sure than that. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that the faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith, then, uh, uh, is evidence. It's the substance. It, 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 it is of things hoped for. Is the evidence, the elegekos, what the Greek word uses here. It just simply means it's the title deed. If somebody squats in your house and you need to go to the court to prove that this is your home, you need to bring your title deed. It ensures it's the evidence that what you say you possess, you actually have. To keep the faith as it pertains to Christendom, listen to this, means that until the day you die, you are fully persuaded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For if we do not have faith in the resurrection of Christ, then our faith, Paul says, is in vain. For if, if Christ did not rise, then we have no hope since our resurrection from the death is based on the belief that Jesus did it first. And since he rose from the dead, we can have hope in our eternal salvation on the day of his appearing. You see, when we are fully persuaded that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead, then we can have hope and wait with pleasure as we confidently anticipate the coming of the Lord despite the suffering that we experience in this world. But, beloved, if while on the seas of life you are wavering in faith and shifting in your hope, it is because you have not cast the anchor of love. Faith is the evidence of hope, but love is the anchor of what you have faith to hope for. There is power in love because, watch this, it is the earthly deposit of a heavenly hope. Love is the earthly deposit of a heavenly hope. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, and I'm almost done, uh, in speaking the promise of faith. He says, therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we've been justified by faith, we've been made right with God, we now have righteousness with God through our faith, though the fact that we are fully persuaded in the, in the, in the, in the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, through him we have also obtained access by faith into grace, the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? We can rejoice in our sufferings through faith and hope? Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character is going to give us more hope. It's going to give us more certainty in what we believe. But he's not done. He says that hope doesn't put us to shame, and here's why. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. You've got a deposit. You've got a deposit. 
You've got a deposit that exists within you called love, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you that allows you to continue to have faith and hope. Love is the anchor of what we have faith to hope for. Listen, listen, beloved, I'm trying to help you understand that the reason why love is greater than faith and hope it is because love supersedes and goes beyond faith and hope. Listen, one day, one day, one day when you, when you get to heaven, you won't need faith because you're going to see him face to face. When you get to heaven, you're not going to need no faith. One day when you get to heaven, you're not going to need your hope because what you have been waiting for, you will have before you. One day, you will not need faith, you will not need hope, but you'll always have love. One day, you won't need that faith. You won't need that hope. You'll always have love. When you get to the gates of heaven, you're going to be singing a song the old saint says, you stand at the door, stand at the gates of heaven. You're knocking on the gate, say, hey, 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 I want to see him. I want to look upon his face. I, I'm here to sing forever of his saving grace. I, I'm now on the streets of glory. Let me lift my voice. I'm here at last. Oh, my, my cares are past. I'm home at last, and now I'm ever to rejoice. When, when you get to heaven, you're going to realize that the reason that there's power in a marginless love is that a marginless love goes beyond earth and into heaven. And in heaven, you won't need that faith and hope. You're going to get to heaven and you're going to say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord, today because you care for me in such a special way. That's why I praise you. That's why I lift you up. And that's why I magnify your name. That's why my heart is filled with praise. I love you, Lord. I want to see him. I want to look upon his face. That's the kind of love that just doesn't exist here on earth. That's the kind of love that goes beyond earth into heaven. And it's what God wants to bring from heaven to earth. He ain't bring you here and save you so you could have gifts and walk around and have money and talk about how great you are and take vacations, which are all good. I'm not denouncing none of that. I got one set up here in the future. I'm just simply saying that you're here for a greater purpose than to be elevated and to be promoted and make your life perfect. God cares about his family. All people created in the image of God. He's not concerned just about you. His love goes beyond you. He will leave the 99 to find the one. And if that's not your mission, then you need to question your thought and belief on whether you are a Christian. Do you have the same mission are you Christ-like? Do you have the same mission that the Father has? You need your perception shifted. You need a new understanding of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You're, you're in jeopardy of being like the Corinthian church. Love is greater than faith and hope. 
because it's the only one of these graces that you can experience in both heaven and earth. And this love, this love, this love, it didn't start with you. It started with him. The only reason you love is because he first loved. You're not standing on no high moral ground here. You ain't want Jesus. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. You didn't want Jesus. He had to come find you. You were an enemy of God. He had to forgive you. Your ways were opposed to God. He had to change you. You have no moral ground. We are here because he loved us first. And the only thing he asks you to do is to love others the way he loves you. That's a marginless love. That's a marginless love.